For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for fly fishing culture and conservation. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine fly fishing goods. And recently, I spoke with Tyler Caldwell, a very satisfied Deli Fresh customer. Just a little shout out to Deli Fresh here. <laughs> I just gotta say, Ross, he's just a genuine guy overall, and he's putting out some really rad gear. So, but yeah, it's it's legit. It's awesome. Well put together. He likes to use like repurposed materials, which I also think is really cool. You can find more fresh designs on Instagram at Deli Fresh Design. It's been a while, folks, but thanks for tuning back into the Drake Cast. Today, we're going to be throwing out an episode from the archive. But this is a new and improved version of that story. And there's actually a pretty serious backstory as to why we're releasing this episode right now. And that'll become apparent pretty quickly. So please, stay with us. Almost exactly two years ago, while on a trip with my good buddy Clyde, we found ourselves driving through northern Arkansas. We wound our way through some back roads and then up a super steep driveway to the home of a storied couple that I'd heard of but never actually met. Hello, is this the Dally residence? Do we still have Christmas prayer No, it's, it's beautiful. Hey, I'm Elliot. <laughs> I'm Becca. This is Becca Dally, the matriarch of the family. All right, good man yourself. And once inside, I met Becca's husband, Steve Dally, who's the manager of Dally's Ozark Fly Fisher in Cotter, Arkansas. Hey, how's it going? Oh, yes, I'm Crystal. Crystal, hey, I'm Elliot. I also met their daughter, Crystal. Basketball. It was so. at teacher conference day. Ah, how was that? Exciting? I'm glad it's over. Yeah, yeah. Um, Are people teachers here then? I'm a teacher. She's going to school to be a teacher. Oh, excellent. And as a family, the Dallies graciously invited me into their home, where I was determined to answer one major question. How did this very clearly Australian man end up running a fly shop in the middle of America? So here's some backstory. I grew up in a little town of about 20,000 people on salt water. I surfed, I fished, really everything we did was in salt. In fact, until I came here, I had never lived more than half an hour from salt water. And I still miss the hell out of it. And one year, uh, I was in my late 20s, a guy I grew up with, uh, my best friend of all time, and he put a rod in my hand one day, and I'd been ribbing him that, you know, fly fishing was just a thing for old men. And I picked it up and I was smitten, straight away. And I was total crap like everyone else, but that's the great thing about fly fishing, you can be total crap and have a damn good time. Fly fishing was just it. And I was really bored in my job at the time. I was working as a daily print newspaper, so I decided to go travel. And ended up, um, met an American woman in Los Angeles. She brought me to Arkansas, then left me in Arkansas. And it was then a decision. And I was doing some guiding in Arkansas at the time. And I met my current wife and stayed. So I ended up in Mountain Home, uh, came and started working for a fly shop. But it's more than just Becca and Crystal that keeps Dally in Arkansas. We're tracing trophy fish, it's hard. And that's all you're trying to get. You're trying to catch trophies, you're trying to catch some fish of a lifetime. And, and 
it is bloody hard or kick your ass. It's physical. Big flies hurt more when they go into you, and it's blind casting covering miles and miles of water. <laughs> None of us got into this game because fly fishing was easy. We got into it because it was a challenge. Daly went on to explain his almost cult-like devotion to the White River. Think deliverance, but with John boats instead of canoes. And at the center of this aquatic orthodox are two deities, the almighty streamer and the holy brown trout. But these aren't your typical streamers or browns. They're way bigger, and according to the river's disciples, way better. Today, we're going to find out how this creed came to be, and how these devotees in northern Arkansas began breaking bread with those coveted monster browns. It's a story of exploration, teamwork, and the effect that fly fishing can have on a town. But really, it's an invitation to establish your own fishy religion. And the reason we're throwing this episode back in the feed is threefold. One, it's winter and you folks who aren't fishing much right now might need some entertainment. Two, chasing big brown trout with oversized streamers can be super productive this time of year, so it's timely. But the main reason we're putting this out there is because Becca, the woman you heard at the top of this episode, recently spent two weeks in the ICU following a nearly fatal car accident. Becca and Steve Daly are integral to this story, and if you stick around until the end, we'll get into their importance to the local community and how you can help them in their time of need. Okay, on to the show. Cheers! Over a beer, Steve Daly told me about the White River Protocol when he moved to Arkansas back in the early aughts. Like every other guy in the country, taking people who don't fish very much out and catching fish and showing them a good time. Most of the year, that involves us catching stocker rainbows because they put in 1.1 million rainbows a year into this river and there's a five fish limit and people come from all over the south. They'll catch those fish and take them home and it's legit. And personally, stock rainbow trout taste like shit. <laughs> I mean, they're pasty and they're not good. And the local economy was kind of built on this model. Fishing resorts where you could rent john boats and buy power bait lined the river, and a few fly shops catered to the more discerning anglers out there. But Dally and the other fly guys knew that there were some monster brown trout in the river, because they would watch through gritted teeth as the bait guys caught them. We'd always drawn the line of there are fish in this river which fly fishermen can get, and then there is the fish that only the bait fishermen can get. And a lot of those truly big fish that in the 20 pound, you may say 30 pound, those fish, you wonder on how they're habits, because trout don't grow that big normally. And the thought process has always been those fish live around trout resorts, the trout docks, and they feed on the clean fish every day. And the question was always, are they going to be active enough to feed on something moving? Or is that the province of the bait guys? Every once in a while, someone would come into the shop with a photo of one of these fish. But for the most part, whether or not the angler would admit it... They were raping them off the spawning beds. Because quite honestly, that was the way that big fish used to get caught in Arkansas. You know, it's a bit like kissing your sister. (laughs) You're not going to tell anyone, are you? So, Dally and his friends spent hours thinking about how to legitimately catch those monster browns. And they were a bit frustrated, because it just wasn't happening for him. So right now, we're going to leave Dally in Arkansas, jump back a couple decades, and introduce a new character. Back in the 1990s, before Dally had even been to Arkansas, there was a little-known fly fishing guide in Michigan named Kelly Gallup. 
And, I mean, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, we aren't all streamer fishing. I've been doing that dry fly thing before you were fucking alive. As you can tell, I've had to edit some of his tape. And he was frustrated by these big browns as well. It was somewhere in the early 90s. And I can tell you what started the whole thing was I was watching a bass show, and it was Larry Nixon. He was a very famous bass angler. And he was doing what's called walking the dog, which is a stick bait that you pull on the surface and you make it pop back and forth. It's a topwater. They do this when the fish are set up in dour, which means they're low in the water because of water temperatures. And it's reactionary bite, and they blow up on it, right? It just kind of flew in the face of everything I'd ever been taught. You know, when fish go deep, you go down to them. And he was saying just the opposite, how they set up and you make them come to the surface. And, of course, he gets this huge fish to blow up. And I thought, you know, it's the middle of July in Michigan, which is hex season. And I thought, well, what the hell, I'll go try it. And I tied up this big stick bait. Six, seven-inch fly. In the middle of the afternoon in July down to the boardman where I grew up and pretty much thought I knew every fish on it <clears throat> and started just trying to walk the dog. You're trying to make it go back, left, right, left, right, left, right. And started trying to do that and I couldn't really make it happen because the water's kind of fast and pushing the fly to the downstream side more. But I started cracking on the rod, just hitting it, trying to make it do stuff. The fish ate it on the surf, blew it up. I mean, just annihilated it. And I got my first really huge daytime brown trout and in a river that I was pretty sure didn't have 20-inch fish in it to speak of. And this one's just shy of 27. And so I kind of went, holy shit, that just happened. I, it was a mistake because I know what the fuck I was doing and I really wasn't trying to catch one. I figured if I got a 12, 14-inch fish to jump up on it, it had been fun, right? It wasn't on purpose. So Gallup ran back to his house and grabbed his snorkeling gear because he wanted to take a look in this river and see if there were more big browns down there. I came back the same day. By the time I'd finished that three-quarters of a mile dive, first thing I realized is there was a shit ton of 20-inch fish in the river. I saw my fish and another one like it, and there was a third one that was closer. Everything I'd ever thought, read, seen, I went, this is bullshit. Been listening to stuff that wasn't right, had to relearn everything. And so that's where it started with me. And then that subsequent five years before writing Modern Streamers, we just started rethinking everything. So Gallup publishes his book and really puts streamers on everyone's radar. But just because you can go and buy a book about big streamers doesn't mean you're going to catch big fish. And 10 years after Gallup caught that first big Michigan brown, there weren't that many folks who knew how to target them with any great efficiency. But there were people trying including a young up-and-coming guide in Michigan whose dreams were haunted by the thoughts of brown trout. Got my groceries already done. Grocery shopping's done. Introducing Alex Lapkus. He's clean-cut, not an ounce of fat on him, and most of all, he's intense. For most of the year, Alex guides on the Osable and Manistee Rivers in Michigan. I'm going to go for a boat ride, but it looks windy, and I've been out in the wind so <laughs> much lately, I care less about it. <laughs> Like I said, Alex knew Big Browns were in the Michigan rivers because he saw guys like Kelly Gallup catching them. But Alex and his friends still hadn't figured the whole game out. We were used to seeing a lot of 17 to 21s. But that was about as big as they would regularly catch. So to see if they could get some of those bigger fish to come out to play, they began experimenting by tying up some bigger bugs. A couple things came out of Michigan that were really important. One was Russ's surface peanut. 
The circus peanut is a big articulated mass of flashaboo, rubber legs, and schloppen, usually around six inches long, designed by Russ Madden. Because when we took that circus peanut down our smaller rivers that we fished, we noticed another age class and size class of fish coming out of wood piles. Now all of a sudden the 22, 24, 25, 26 inch fish started coming out of those wood piles for that little bigger flop. And when Alex saw those bigger fish, he was hooked on the streamer game. I mean, streamer fishing is for the 30-something ADD child. I mean, it's nonstop, go, 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 don't stop, you know? Which, judging by how quickly he speaks, this is Alex to a T. A couple years later, Russ and Alex met this guy named Mark Sadati, and he introduced them to some of his striped bass flies, namely the Sadati Slammer. It's an 8-inch baitfish pattern tied with bucktail and flash that casts well and really swims. And I remember the first day that Russ took Mark down the Manistee, he saw the next level of fish come out. They were the 25, 26, 27, 28-inch fish that were all of a sudden now willing to make a play on that 8-inch fly that were never coming out. And so we, when we saw that, I started shifting how I was doing it. Alex made a pretty compelling argument for why these bigger flies were so effective when targeting those bigger fish. They're an effective way to fish big open water, especially low density because you cover more water with each cast with a bigger flock. If you go out there with a three inch fly and you try to pick around every rock, you're going to spend all day fishing 100 yards of river. If you run that seven to eight inch fly, you can cover distance, fish move from further for it. You can fish it a little bit more quickly and move through and cover enough water to find those fish. So Alex and his crew are tying these gigantic trout flies and having quite a bit of luck on their Michigan rivers. And through the grapevine, Alex hears about this river down in Arkansas. That supposedly has a lot of those big, hard to catch brown trout that he loves. So he decides he should bring a bit of his Michigan shenanigans down to the White River. What I thought of was, the time that we target and see our best big fish action is about a week to 10 days after they quit spawning, two weeks after they quit spawning. It's the post-spawn bite, it's a really heavy feed. And so we kind of targeted that because I knew that the spawning season was probably going to be trying to wrap up into February. Um, so we targeted that window. So February of 2009, Alex and two buddies drive down to Arkansas. So we just kind of came down here on a whim, brought our boats. When they got to the white, they stopped at a fly shop. One of the guys over there said, the white was too big and too high and there's too much water, you can't do it in the fly guys. Nope, it's a bait fishing river this time of year, you know, too much water. It's probably the biggest joke on the planet. 10 years ago, I had people telling me they wouldn't eat streamers on the white. Again, Mr. Kelly Gallup. And the fly shops, it was funny. You know, like trout are different one spot to the next. It'd be like saying, you know, grizzly bear won't eat you in this state, but he will in another one. And it's like, it's just stupid. <laughs> Back to Alex. We stopped out at another shop, which is now Daly's, and we started BSing. There was a guy who came down from Michigan with three buddies, and we thought they were a little strange, Chad and I, because we talked to them, and they wanted to throw really, they were talking about throwing really big flies. And he's like, oh no, this is perfect water. This is what you want for streamer fish, and you need this high water. So we're like, all right, let's go give this a go. I don't know that I not saw another fly fisherman. It was all bait fishing boats, and there was one bait fishing boat that we got chatting with because he kept catching big fish and a lot of the other guys weren't. And I'd see him at the boat launches and chat with them. And we showed him his, our, the flies we had. He was like, oh, you'll get them on that. Oh yeah, you'll get them on that. That'll work. These guys usually don't catch any of them. Those will work. But did the big flies work? To find out, you got to stick around. Because first, we need to play a couple ads. 
This episode of the Drake Cast is sponsored by our friends at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. I called up Tom Melvin, Yellow Dog's director of sales, to chat about a trip he just got back from. So I went up north in Canada, all the way up to the Northwest Territories. We were running around in jet boats, then also utilizing float plane aircraft, fishing for some of the largest lake trout, bar char, and grayling you can find you know, anywhere in the world. It's a great trip for the anglers that are looking to really head to a, a truly kind of remote, untouched portion of Canada. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember, while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. We're also sponsored by the good folks at Scott Fly Rods. I grew up using my grandpa's old fly fishing gear that was from the 80s. And when I bought my first fly rod of my own, I did a bunch of research and ended up going with a 9.5 foot, 8 weight Scott Radiant. I love that rod. And it's still my go-to for salmon, steelhead, and anything warm water. This February, I snapped the tip off while on the White River, and Scott had it back to me in three weeks. If you're looking for high quality rods that lend themselves well to overly sentimental attachment and great customer service, look no further than Scott Fly Rods. Check them out at scottflyrod.com. All right, back to whether or not Alex and company found the fish they were after. (laughs) You know, we had slow days and then we had a couple good days and when we had good days, we could not believe the number of fish in the river. I mean, we were going down the river and we'd move 30, 40 fish a day, 50 some days, and some of them were big. And when we saw that, it was just kind of like, oh dear. Pretty quickly, they were running out of their big flies. So back to the vice. So we just started throwing stuff on a hook and getting the profile built up and getting a bigger fly. We're like, add some schlop. Try this. Try that. You ever seen those jig hooks? No. Oh, those jig hooks. You can spin that head on that. I mean, I think we ended up with three Tiemco number two hooks tied together with about a quarter ounce pack of marabou on it and a deer hair head and a comb. And those things would kill you, but we smoked fish on them. While Alex and company were just destroying these big browns, Dally was back in the fly shop, twiddling his thumbs, wondering how those bozos from Michigan were faring on the river. They found out pretty quickly, because one day... We just started going down the first bank, and I blew up the rod on the hook set. And I was like, shit, that's my only eight weight. <laughs> so I called the shop, and Chad's like, hey, yeah. Chad Johnson, one of Dally's co-workers and a top guide in the area. Pull on over at this dock, it's right down below you, I'll drop you off an eight weight. And so he sent us an eight weight, and I'm talking to him, I'm like, oh, I wasn't even a big fish, it was only 23 inches or something, and they're like... Guys don't even respect a 23-incher, you know, and whatever. So he gave me a rod, we fished it out, and started chatting. And that kind of where is where we really started talking more and more. And Dally and his coworkers started asking questions. What are you getting these fish on? How are you doing it? Wait, what? That's just mind-blowing. And those guys started seeing the picture, and they're like, what the hell is going on? They hadn't seen that. They hadn't seen that size of fish showing up and the fly guys catching them. When we showed them the size of fly, they were like, Oh, dear. I'd never thought that that was potential. Chad and I were kind of, how did we get in on this? It it totally changed it from that point on, and it's never been the same since. That whole white fishery, if Alex hadn't broke that rod, I don't know if it would still be fishing. A few weeks later, after Alex and his crew returned to Michigan, the folks at Dally's decided it was their turn to catch a big one. Anyway, Johnson goes out, 600 yards from the boat ramp, he scores a 27-inch fish. And the whole world changed right there. We got our asses kicked so often. We were doing all these sorts of things wrong. We kind of got smitten by this idea of 
Holy grail, big fish. And for the last nine years, the fishing on the white has just been getting better. And from that point, we started to get really serious about it. And while this was going on, there was a whole groundswell across the country. The stream of fishing is cool. Stream of fishing is fun. It was funny. It, was, it, it changed. I've never seen something change so fast in my life. It's blown up now. Now it's the way to go. And the, the musky side came in, and a few of those guys through, you know, Bowen, Chris Willen, and, and Nick Granato. Who brought the tricks they had picked up while musky fishing and applied them to the white? Quite honestly, the coolest thing about this whole streamer game is that we've had a core of guys who are all buddies, who all trust each other to say, this is what I did today, and this is how it's going to help you tomorrow. Because not a lot of guys do that. Especially because we're all independent, we don't, no one has to. And that's how we've got very good at this very quick. All right. Now, I want to make it very clear that no one in this episode invented big streamer fishing. And these guys probably weren't the first to figure out how to effectively fly fish for these White River Browns. But Alex Lapkus, the crew at Dally's, and their giant streamers were the first to really put the White River on the map as a destination for huge trout on the fly. Here's writer and frequent Drake contributor Zach Matthews weighing in on the impact these folks had. I know Steve will argue with this, and he will he will not take credit for this. He's going to point to really strong, talented anglers in that area like Chad Johnson and Brock Dixon and say, oh, these are the guys, Davey Watton and even Dave Whitlock going back a few years, who developed this culture. But I credit Steve Daly with creating the extremely strong North Arkansas fly fishing culture that we have today. Alex Lapkus now spends 10 weeks in Arkansas each winter guiding clients, many of whom are from Michigan. Dally's Fly Shop puts on an annual Streamer Love Fest that routinely attracts more than 300 anglers. All of this on a river that 10, 15 years ago was only really known as a put-and-take rainbow fishery in the middle of nowhere. When we first started going over there, we were, I mean, I won't name names, but we were staying in a hotel that had had a murder in the parking lot. (laughs) And I had buddies that would rent these little cabins uh, right by the river that were you know, like pretty much shacks. I mean, some of them were actually repurposed old trailers. Again, this is Zach Matthews, who's originally from the area. Here he's explaining the greater impact of this shift. I mean, I think the management assumptions in the 80s were that the trout hatcheries and the trout that were being stocked in those rivers were going to help people of greater Appalachia feed their children, which is markedly different than a tourist-based economy that targets a trophy fish, you don't want to be putting in 11-inch rainbow trout because, you know, the after-school lunch program is not sufficient for these kids to do well on their test scores. That's bad. What you want is for their moms and dads to have jobs in an economy that can provide them with enough money that those kids are not having to go through those after-school programs like that, free lunch, assisted lunch, and instead are working in a larger economy based on tourism I've definitely seen, as an out-of-towner, the development of that area and the sophistication that you can now have. There's really nothing else drawing you to North Arkansas besides the fishing, and the fishing is really, really good. So when you look at the improvement in those towns, you have to credit the fishery. Back to Dally. 
because I'm an Australian, I hate this winter cold. Like, <laughs> I really object to that shit. Up in Florida, the only reason that keeps me here are these big fish. Like we talked about, Gallup was fishing big streamers in the early 90s. So why did it take so long for this whole big streamer thing to catch on? And I think most of it, it's, we're losing the old way of thinking. Everybody loves to fish dry flies. Nobody doesn't like to fish dry flies. But why would you pound your fucking dick against the door all day if they aren't eating them? Again, the ever-hilarious Kelly Gallup. Like, Jesus Christ, dude, how about a little bit of add an extra arrow to your quiver? Now, guys and girls, I mean, everybody's going, I just want to fish. The young generation, they want to learn. I mean, I had a kid send me an email five years ago, and he was in a shop, and he ordered three streamers. He wants to try them on the Delaware. He walks into a shop on the Delaware, and the guy tells him they don't eat those things on this river, and all you'll do is scare all the fish away. And he got a 19, a 21, and a 3, I think. Three really good fish. And he sends me the pictures, and the headline above it says, I don't shop there anymore. There's another point to this story. And that takeaway is that there are still untapped rivers and fisheries like the white out there. I think what it's going to take and what we're seeing is more people having the desire to go and try new fisheries and to explore them and to try new techniques to pull fish. The, the, there was never a book written on how to throw streamers on the white river. Me and my buddies came down, we figured some stuff out, we worked with some local guys, figured it out better and better and better. And there's a lot of these fisheries out there in the country, but people have to not be afraid to not catch a fish a day. Go learn something. Go somewhere you don't know. Take a chance. It's okay. That's kind of the fun part of fishing, and all these people just want it handed to them now. Oh man, well, I read on the internet I want to float from here to here, and it's going to take this long, and this is where the fish should be. You know, well, obviously that's old news. If it's written about, everybody knows it. Why don't you try something different? The draw of this river fishing and this it's predator fishing is what it is. I mean, it's, it's big aggressive brown trout, it's muskies, it's big pike, you know, they're aggressive fish, they're the apex predator in the body of water. And I think that's what's drawing a lot of people. Um, the southern tailwaters of Tennessee, George, I mean all these other areas that have big trout. You got states doing more muskie planting, so that stuff will help expand some of this river fishing. So as, as long as people keep trying and exploring and doing new things, you're going to see these fisheries pop up. Probably not to the extent of the white. <laughs> the white is probably the best big brown trout river in the world, but there's, a, there's stuff out there. So go out there and find it. But the story doesn't end here, folks. To better explain the situation... Hello? Hey, is this Miles? It is. Elliot? I hopped on the phone with Outdoors writer and Drake contributor, Miles Nolte. The first time that I met the Dallies... Steve invited me out to come fish, and I'd never met Steve in person. He just reached out to me and, and made this generous offer, and I hadn't fished down there before, so I went out, and we had a wonderful night on the river, caught some fish, stayed out way too late, and got back late, and I had obviously never met Becca, and, and Steve insisted that we stay at his house, and we show up, and Becca's there, greets us with this huge, warm hug. She's just this vibrant super positive, super welcoming presence to these, you know, dirtbags who showed up on her front door and she gives us a hot meal and she sits down with us and, and, you know, asks about what we've been doing and how the fishing was. And then again, I'm, I'm a stranger to these folks and they, they let me stay in their house for several days while Steve and I fish. 
And when it's time for me to leave, I'm planning on, you know, finding some public transportation or spending a bunch of money to rent a car to drive back to Little Rock to catch my flight. And Becca instead insists that she's going to drive me way out of her way so that I get to my flight in Little Rock and takes me all the way down there, won't accept any money for gas, won't accept anything at all, and is just a delightful human being. And that was the beginning of our friendship. And it has really blossomed into a close friendship since then. They're just wonderful people. Zach Matthews weighed in as well. What I would say is she is such a nice person and just a bright soul. And that's who Becca is. She's a great human being, which is why your heart goes out to them so much right now, because what they're going through is just such an example of how unfair it is sometimes, you know, to have the best of us have to suffer the worst when you know scumbags walking around who are doing well. It just almost makes you mad and a little bit heartbroken. Um, which is why if there's something we could do about that, I think it is so important that we do it. And the situation that Zach is talking about is that back in December, Becca Daly, Steve's wife, suffered a series of life-threatening injuries that left her in the intensive care unit for 13 days and out of work for the foreseeable future, which has saddled the Dallies with astronomically high hospital bills. And to talk a little more about the situation... G'day, Elliot. I got on the phone with our beloved Tasmanian friend, Steve Daly. Daly, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, uh, you never know your life's going to change that much that fast. We're sitting on the banks of a bayou in Louisiana, going redfishing the next day, and I get a phone call. And Dally learned that back in Arkansas, Becca had been in a car accident. I actually spoke with Becca when she was in the car, and what we both didn't know, she thought she was all right. She sounded a little stunned, but she was bleeding out because of the internal injuries. Yeah. What she had was what was one of the worst injuries to her digestive tract that the trauma surgeon here um, had ever seen. Now, what the doctors have told us, she'll have a full recovery and live a normal life. Um, you know, there'll be some minor adjustments in the way a digestive system works. She didn't lose a spleen. She didn't lose a liver. All those things that are major. It's going to be a long time. It's going to be very hard. But there are a bunch of people that are worse off. Anything on the ends of giving Becca a hand with things? Uh... I'd like someone to do some yard work. <laughs> like, we just lost a month, right? We just totally lost a month. And, you know, good thoughts and positive thinking. She loves getting, you know, heck. She got to listen to the sound of Miles's newborn, newborn's voice a couple of days ago. And that was the biggest smile I think I've seen out of her um, since we got out of hospital. If somebody has met the Dallies and enjoys them, somebody has been to Mountain Home and Fish the White or somebody wants to in the near future, how could they contribute to help out these two amazing people? You know, there were three or four of us decided we should try and get our broader community together and get the word out there to find ways to help them, at least with the medical bills. At least that's something we could do. So we have, at this point, set up a GoFundMe page. And if folks want to contribute, you know, other than the small fee that the GoFundMe takes out of it, I think it's 2.9%. The rest of it's all going to go toward those medical bills and helping keep that family afloat. You can find a link to this page on our website, drakemag.com, or if you type in Rally for Dally's GoFundMe on Google. It should be one of the first links. Additionally, if you live near Arkansas, this Saturday, January 26th, 
is the annual Streamer Love Fest, which will be featuring tying demos from a ton of folks talked about in this episode, including Kelly Gallup, Chad Johnson, Alex Lapkus, Steve Daly, and other heavy hitters like Mike Schmidt, Austin Aducci, Brian Weiss, and Nick Groves. Just being there, supporting the Dallies in their time of need, would mean a lot to them. Alternatively, if you're booked this weekend, think about taking a trip down to the White in the next couple months. I hear it's going to be a pretty, pretty good year. I think I was trying to do a calculation. I did five days on the river this week, part of it in a, in a group uh, trip with one of my buddies, and we got three fish over 25 in the group, and just in our boat, I think we got, uh, I think we got nine over 20. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's the, the peak of the season is coming. Miles Nolte had some closing thoughts on this whole situation. Yeah, I just want to say that this experience, as you know, terrible as it is, it's reaffirmed one of the reasons or some of the reasons why I love being part of this fly fishing community because the, uh, the amount of sport and the way that people are rallying around these folks who don't necessarily live anywhere near them and don't impact them on a daily basis is it's pretty incredible. Um, and I don't, I think that's somewhat unique and I don't know that we as a culture are always all that great about looking out for the needs of others. Um, but to see people choosing to donate their time, their money, their goods, their services to help out a family in need, is, it, it, it just sort of makes me feel better about the world and, and the group of people I choose to associate with. Seriously, though, please go toss 10, 20 bucks to the Dallies on their GoFundMe page. I'd be eternally grateful, and so would they. Thanks to Steve Daly, Alex Lapkus, Miles Nolte, Zach Matthews, and Ben Levins for taking the time to talk. Kelly Gallup, thanks for the great chat. At some point, I should just play the entire interview because he's a very funny guy. Cheers to my old man for floating the white with me for a long weekend. I had a great time despite the broken rod. Phil Cook wrote our title track and Keegan Lynch designed our logo. I know it's been a while since we released an episode, but I've been working on a few things lately, and we've got another episode coming out in a couple weeks featuring our good friend Dave Zobi. So keep an eye on the feed. Until then, thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast. <laughs>